evidence and answers. Tala was part of the Muslim Brotherhood and a devout follower of Islam. However, one day his mind and heart were awakened to Jesus Christ. So what caused him to investigate Christianity? What were the truths that transformed his life? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In this episode of Evidence and Answers, Pat will be speaking with Abu Atala, who shares his story of coming to Christ after many years in the Muslim Brotherhood. Now, here's part two of today's message. The Christian is a minority of being persecuted that way. But also, you have in Iraq, for example, the Kurdish minority was even poisoned by Saddam. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have also the Berber, or what we call the Amazigh, in Algeria was also persecuted by the other Muslim, by the Arab Muslims. So we find many of the Kurdish people are becoming Christians, and many of the Amazigh people are becoming a Christian, because the way Islam has treated them, even though they are Muslims. They were not treated humanely and equally. So that's also because of political issues that happen. And, you know, that, the most obvious part, that God is awesome. And when people get confronted by the love of God, nobody could say no. Yes. You know, you stated that the attempts to establish the ideal Islamic states in Egypt under the Muslim Brotherhood and Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, ISIS in Iraq, the Quran teaches that these would be just and utopian or, you know, righteous states. As, as you briefly mentioned here, what has the Muslim world learned as we get closer to establishing Islamic states in many of these areas? You know what I found out in Islamic literature as of late? Uh, which is the Muslims also looking for the end of days. There's apocalyptic uh, literature, even within Islam. So some of the things that were happening, even that why ISIS was put in that city where they are in, because in the end of days, that's when Christ and the Antichrist will be there, and Islam will be established in there. So what we don't see is there's a religious stone. Even ISIS would not kill anybody without getting a religious fatwa or a religious opinion if they should kill that person or not. And what do you do to them if they cut their heads or they do this or that? You know what I'm saying? So this is part of another utopia of the end of the days where Islam will be the winner. And that's what we don't hear in the West. But again, we're talking about 1.6 billion Muslims, 10% if we take the, most of the statistics. Then we talk about 160 million radical Muslims. That's, that's almost half of the United States. You know, so these are some of the issues that many of them are looking for. Even the other Muslims are looking for the end of days, the day of judgment, where Islam finally conquers everyone else, and Muslims will go to heaven. Yes. You state here in your books, you said, state, the Muslim countries that have gotten closest to an ideal Islamic state are the world's worst in terms of oppression and poverty. Explain that for us. The one who really started all of that and that idea in the modern way, because in the past, you see, you got to look at Islam as a backward-looking culture, and I don't mean it in a, this uh, dysfunctional way. I mean, the good old days, if we just go back to the old days of the Prophet, where the law of God and the law was the law of the land. 
that would be the ideal, going back to Muhammad's days and how the Sharia law was running all the governments and so on. So they want to go back again because for them, that's why they wanted to have a Khalifa again. The Khalifa, you know, that they declared for ISIS is the continuation of Muhammad's followers. Their name is was Caliph. So that was a continuation, actually stopped in the time of the Ottoman Empire and modern-day Turkey, where they, they abandoned the whole idea of Caliph. So people still want to bring that back, where the, the leader of the world will be successor of Muhammad. So that's where the utopia is. And if you look at, look at ISIS and how they run that part of the world where they took over, and how they treated the women, how they treating the minorities, how they treated the Christians there, you know, uh, so and other gr- groups that they were killing them, literally slaughtering them, and they actually coined, they had some coin with the uh, ISIS name on it, with the Khalifa or the Caliph's name on the money. Uh, they started an Islamic system and Islamic taxing. Uh, they wanted to do the same thing in Egypt. And look at what happened in one year. You know, the first thing in the parliament, the what Bruce Brotherhood Parliament wanted to accomplish, not the economic stability, but they wanted to establish marriage at eight years old because that's what the prophet married someone, a woman yeah, at that Aisha. age. So they wanted to bring the age, Aisha, yeah. You know, so they wanted to bring the age down. That was the most important for them, not to get the country stable economically. You know, so you have that. Iran was really what instigated Ayatollah Khomeini, what instigated that. So he's the one who started that idea again when it came in. So and then the Sunni uh, had a counterpart to Iran, which is ISIS, and which is also uh, the Muslim Brotherhood and which is Al-Qaeda. All of these are counterpart or uh, relevant to what happened and was declared in Iran. You know, Pakistan is the same way, and you can see what's happening in Pakistan. But Pakistan is not fully have done that because the Sharia law does not run everything, but they're starting to do this. So you can see some of the countries now that you see are really uh, having issues radical issues. Uh, even Iran is struggling economically for what they are doing, and they are in wars in Yemen. They are involved in other places, involved in Lebanon. And they, every place that they have gone, they have ruined the place. Look at Yemen, uh, look at Syria, look at Iraq. So there was no successful model of the Islamic law. And even in uh, Malaysia, which is relatively stable, but most of the economy is run by Chinese not by Malay, and they actually pay a, a tax. The Chinese pay a tax for the Malay who, because they are the Muslims and the owner of the land. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but they pay taxes. Yeah, the GCR tax. Yeah, yeah, but not tax for income tax. Tax mm-hmm. to take care of the Malay. They also pay income tax. Yeah, I've been you to know, that country. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so these are all these issues that you need to, you know, that with Islam is saying, yeah, it's the best. I just saw a joke, actually, this morning. Somebody sent it to me and said, you know, Islam is the answer. And then says, no, Islam is the trouble. Oh, wow. And many of us realize that. I know that some people, because of political correctness, cannot say anything about that. But you know what? The truth has to be told. And we've seen it. We've seen how it works in the world. As many people who live under uh, Muslim governments, and they would tell you. Minorities, though not even Christian. Christian, of course, are a minority and they're suffering, but other people are the same way. 
But again, I don't want this to color the picture of working with Muslims. If you talk about 160 million, you have the rest of the 1.6 or 1.4 billion who are just average Muslims who want to live a normal life, have children, they want to work, they want their kids to have better education and better life. You know, I, I'm afraid that right now people are confusing the picture of fear. And you, you got to understand, Muslims operate by fear, and the radical Muslims operate by fear. And that's why ISIS is doing what they're doing, because nobody now is going to critique Islam anywhere. You know what happened in France, you know about the cartoons, you know about other places. Nobody now would dare to critique Islam uh, publicly uh, because people are afraid. And when they have the fear, then they control. So I would tell people, don't be afraid. You know, there's one life to live, really. Mm-hmm. And either we live it in, in, in as a obedient, faithful to God, or be afraid for the rest of our lives and not share Christ. And that some of the Muslims come and tell me, if you have such a treasure, why didn't you share that with us for years? Nobody dared to share with us mm-hmm. because they don't know it. So, uh, and and it's the same issue, folks. I think I don't know whoever made us now to be uh, the Jewish people and uh, the Muslims are the Gentile or the Samaritans. We are all Gentiles, and if the if the Jewish people did not share their Christ with us, none of us would be a Christian. So why are we now thinking that we are better than others and God loves those and doesn't love those? Uh, are we treating the Muslims as the Samaritans or the Gentiles and we don't want to share Christ with them? Are we too afraid of Islam to tell them the good news? You know, when 9-11 happened, I could have been in the other side because that's the leader that I was with. I could have been in the other side. If God did not take me from this background to love me and uh, to save me, I could have been an enemy, not a friend. Yeah, you know, I've spoken to several Muslims who lived in these countries, and they saw ISIS or Al-Qaeda, the Wahhabi, and others as reform movements to get uh, society or culture back to the true teachings of Islam, living under Islamic law. And what they saw, they were appalled, and, and they said, if this is what it means to live under Sharia law and Islam, we want something else and that's what opened the door for them to start looking at jesus christ kind of what you're saying here when you stated you know khomeini and others were great vehicles that god used for these muslims to really look at alternatives if if this is what life is under islamic law we prefer you know we were open to something else and that opened the door for muslims to really consider the teachings of Islam and the teachings of Jesus Christ. You know, we do evangelism in Germany, and as we meet some of the Syrian refugees, they say, we're no longer Muslims. We are done with Islam. Wow. Tell us about Jesus. You know, so, again, God is the author of history, and God is the author of events. Sometimes, as you said, everything works for good for those who love the Lord. He uses some of those carnage in the world to bring people to Christ. So tell us now, what are some effective ways that you have discovered to reach Muslims for Christ? Especially now that you state, you know, there's so many Muslims migrating to the West in Europe and in the United States. In fact, you even state here, there are more Muslims in England than Methodists 
And you state there's more Muslims in France than evangelical Christians. So, That's correct. Yeah, with this great migration, how have you learned that we can reach Muslims for Christ? Uh, at least I was, one thing I wanted my book to help people see how the Muslim think, how the Muslim mind works, what do Muslims see and approach and also don't like and they don't want. So in some sense for me, this book would be kind of an introduction to understand where the Muslims are coming from. A lot of times we have no clue. So this is one thing. The other thing is not every Muslim is a Muslim. He could be, you know, there's a lot of Muslims by name, but not by function. You know, so not every Muslim is a religious, devout Muslim. Uh, some of them are secular. Some of them are socialist. So you got to find out who's in front of you, what kind of Muslims in front of you, to be able to, uh, to understand where they're coming. There's some Muslims who do not even understand the Quran or know the Quran. I'm not going to explain what the Quran says for them. I'll tell them about Jesus. You know, there's other people who are very well read and also read about Christianity. And I spent three days, nine hours each day, with one of the police uh, lieutenants, used to be a police lieutenant in Egypt, and came to me from Canada. And we talked for three hours, nine hours, addressing all the questions that Muslims ask. But he was well-versed in the Quran and Islam. He needed someone to answer the questions in a comprehensive and logical ways. So I did explain all of that to him. It took three days. I don't know if he became a Christian or not. I have to be honest here. But, you know, I shared all of that. And I took each question that he has. And we started entertaining the questions and working with them. So you have that one. Uh, you know, so every Muslim is different. When we were last uh, October... We had a Syrian guy, 18 years old, who came to us, did not attack Christianity, did not say anything wrong, said, please tell me about Jesus. Within two hours, he gave his life to the Lord. So what are some of the common questions that you have found that Muslims ask about Christianity? You know, they're very common. Everybody knows them as Muslims because that's what they teach them in, the, in Islam and in the, in the mosques and everywhere, especially about Christianity. That's the, the question you're asking. Is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, one of let's talk about, if we're going to go through systematic theology, let's start with the Scripture, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, we can start with God. Let's start with God. You know, God is one and not three, not Father, Son. And not, they actually don't talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They talk about three gods, Father, Mother, who had a child who is Jesus. That's their understanding, and that's what the Quran is saying. So God cannot be Trinity. God cannot be one plus one plus one is three, not one. That's how they've been taught, a simple, but God is a strict oneness, would not allow any humanity or anything to be like human in him. And he is totally separate and apart from man. So we have that. Uh, so the whole issue of Jesus being the Son of God, how would they understand the Sonship? As I said, they understand it as a father, mother, and a child. But that's also easily, we can talk about that because I'm the son of Egypt. I actually call us the son of the Nile. So if I am the son of the Nile, who is my mother? The Mediterranean? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. we use that names. I'm the son of Syria, or I'm the son of Jeddah, or Mecca. That means I'm from Mecca. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm literally son, uh, physical son. So we explain that to them. And even in Islam, they say the mothers of the believers, 
that mean Muhammad married them and had all the Muslim believers. That's just a name that they use that because they are the wives of Muhammad, they're considered to be their mothers. So that imagery is not strange in Islam, if you know Islam. So that's one area. Uh, the Bible has been corrupt, and the Bible, they believe in the Bible, but not the one that we have. The one we have is corrupt. And that's problematic for them and for us. And I usually use more of an Islamic argument. If God is, if God is uh, sovereign and if God is all-powerful, how in the world, and you do believe in the angel as part of God's word, so how in the world God is not able to protect his word? Because if you say that, then God cannot protect the Quran, his word as well, isn't it? And that's the argument that I argue with them on. And then Jesus died or not died. He did not die. You know what I'm saying? He was lifted up when somebody else was killed instead of him or uh, crucified instead of him, which is against the history, against logic, against all kinds of things that this is a story is not true. So that's another issue, you know. And the end of days, the, you know, Islam for me is 50% Christian and 50% non-Christian. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is the prophet, but not the son of God. We believe in the Bible, but not the one that you have. We believe that Jesus is coming back, but then when he's going to come down, he's going to kill actually Antichrist and Gog and Magog, and he's going to destroy the cross and slaughter the pig and declare Islam as a religion. So half is true and the other half is perversion. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And that's, right. I think that's, that gives us, because, oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yeah, we believe he's a good prophet. He's one of the major prophets, but he's not the son of God. And actually... Uh, in the book of Hebrews, addresses the same issue, because the Jews had the same problem, by the way. How could you be the carpenter and be the son of God? How dare you say that, and you compare yourself to God? Uh, And Hebrews say he's a prophet, but he's more than that. He's a Melchizedek, but he's more than that. So Hebrews kind of compares us, Jesus is not just this and this, he's more than that. Yes. Now, you know, the Quran and the Bible, of course, they contradict one another on several major points. Most Muslims you talk to, would they be open to that kind of comparison or critique of the Quran? Or would most of them, you know, be really defensive because you're not supposed to criticize Muhammad or the Quran? That's correct. But what I do is memorization of the Bible is very helpful. Because when we talk, oh, by the way, this is what the prophet David said. So I quote the Psalms, or the, you know, this is what Moses said. So when you say it as you talk and so on, and you hear some beautiful words, in the end, it comes that they don't have a problem that the Bible has some wonderful things. But if you sit down and you're going to do a critique of the Quran, which is forbidden in Islam, you do not critique Muhammad. I mean, when we ask questions, when we're young kids in the mosque, says, you don't ask. This is wrong. You don't ask. You just accept, and that's it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So we never question anything. So the Bible study, in some sense, is fallacy. You don't ask why God did this. God did it. You, you believe it, and that's it, and accept it. Don't even question it. And I think this is one of the major issues that many of the Muslims do not question religion. Nowadays, they're starting to because of their different age and education, and they hear things in the TV, and they get mad, and they start to read, and they find out it's right, because their leader didn't tell them those things. You know, so that has changed, and that's why we have two million atheists in Cairo now after the Muslim Brotherhood. Yeah, and they even have a coffee shop that says the coffee shop of the atheists. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. Because they lost trust in Islam after the Muslim Brotherhood. But now they are more open than when they were Muslims. So that's even a better opportunity for them to listen to Christ because now they have no allegiance to Islam. Wow. So what would you encourage now as we come to the final moments of our show? What would you encourage our listeners here as they're seeing more and more mosques and Muslims coming into their neighborhoods? Wonderful. Befriend them. Don't be afraid of them. Because if you're afraid of them, they're not going to have anybody to tell them about Christ. And, and let's put it this way. We don't know who's going to become a Christian or not. But we all ask to share Christ with others. So it's really, we need to, to tell them, we're your neighbor. Uh, invite them for a meal, but please do not cook any pork or anything like that. So usually I'd rather give them uh, desserts that doesn't have any uh, lard in it. Make sure when you buy a dessert, it doesn't have lard in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well as fruits and nuts. They can come in and talk and get to know them and their wives. Of course, I invite husband and wife to invite husband and wife. And I don't encourage male and female relationship like a female woman goes to befriend a Muslim man because they don't understand that. You know, so that's the concept. Women could approach women. You have students that go to university, share with them Christ there. That's part of the, uh, of the things that we do. You can have opposition by Muslims, yes. They might go and tell the university or tell the people that they're trying to evangelize us, and this is not the way in America. But Muslims do evangelize, actually, and they have their own chapter, chapters in the universities, and they bring speakers, and look at some of the advertisement they have. It's all three to four colors and printed. None of the students can afford that. So you know they're actually they're working on getting the what we call the creme de la creme, the cream of the crop, who are the students. If we can sway them toward Islam, and then the future leadership in America will be a Muslim leadership. I'll give you one example. We had one guy who was Yemenese and their family, an American Christian family, invited him and became friends, and he finished his political science degree, and he went back to Yemen. And 10 years later, he called. He still had their number. They haven't changed the number. And he said, do you remember me? And such and such. Oh, yeah, we remember you. I'm the new ambassador for Yemen here. Wow. Okay. So reaching out to young people and the international students is very important because they go back, even if they don't become a Christian, they still have a different understanding of what Christianity is. The head of the Muslim Brotherhood came to America and had a lousy experience. And he came back and wrote some of the worst treaty against America and Christianity. So we have opportunities that we, our neighbors, could be something in the future, and we neglect them and we don't share Christ with them. Fantastic. You do a lot of training and equipping of Christians to share their faith with their Muslim friends and family members. Tell us, as we close the show, where can they go to find more information about you and the ministry and the kind of training they can receive to reach their Muslim friends for Christ? I usually don't give that away because our ministry is <laughs> right. underground. Okay. I would love, I mean, if they come to you, let them come to you and just then let me know. Okay, but we do train Muslim convert leaders throughout the Arab world. So that's our job. Mm-hmm. Uh, we plant, we train them so they become the new pastors and new leaders for the people around the world. Any websites or places you can recommend for those of us who want to get more equipped and trained in this yeah. area? Mm-hmm. Uh, go to uh, the uh, Entering Islam 
www.uk.com. It's called Answering Islam. It's mm-hmm. in the British. And uh, you have Al Hayat channel, mm-hmm. which is a Christian channel. You know, has a lot of these things in Arabic and in English. And you have that. We can even send you the Bible in Arabic in 23 seconds through wow. the internet. Fantastic. So, Personally, you can you have my information. You can you know you can tell people. Fantastic! You've been listening to our interview with Abu Atala. Wrote a fantastic book from Cairo to Christ: His Journey from Islam to Jesus Christ. He is the founder and CEO of European Training Center, reaching Muslims all over the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Abu, thanks for being with us and sharing your story and your testimony with us here on Evidence and Answers. Thank you. May God bless you and use you. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii, it's area code 808-483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on their homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Zucran.